Father, as we come to this text today and we look at this uh, story of uh, Isaac being born, Lord, help us to see uh, how you work in, in, in your timing and, and how important it is to learn that, that, that all things uh, uh, will work out for good in the end, and Lord, that everything that happens on this earth of importance is done on your calendar, not ours. And so, so we can, we can uh, learn a lot by, by looking at this text today and learning this lesson today that you have for us uh, through uh, this study of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. So I just ask that you bless our study today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Now, one of the things that you can determine through a serious verse-by-verse study of the Bible is that God in heaven has an eternal calendar. Uh, And what I mean by that, in heaven, he's written down in eternity every date of every important event that happens on this earth. For example, we know that in eternity past, God set the date that he would create this universe. And he created it exactly on his schedule, and he created it exactly how he wanted to create it in those seven days of creation. We also know that God in eternity past set the date on his calendar when Jesus Christ would come to this earth. Uh, when he would come to Bethlehem as a babe uh, in a manger. That's why I had you turn to Galatians, because Paul tells us exactly when that time was and how it was on God's calendar. Look at, look at chapter 4 of Galatians, uh, looking down at verse number 4, and listen to what it says there, what Paul says there. He says, but when the fullness of the time had come, in other words, when the time God had set on his eternal calendar had arrived not one moment earlier, not one moment later, God sent forth his firstborn son of a woman born under the law. So that first Christmas that took place in Bethlehem was on God's eternal calendar before he even created the world. And and, uh, not only was the birth of Christ on God's eternal calendar, the exact date in, on which he would be crucified was on God's eternal calendar. Uh, when we were studying in Daniel, we studied Daniel's great prophecy on, of the 70 weeks. Flip with me there for a minute. Go to, go to Daniel chapter 9. Find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And I'm not going to go through the calculations that can get you to the date of Jesus' crucifixion, but you can take this passage right there, and you can find the very day in which Jesus was crucified embedded in this text. Look at Daniel chapter 9, jumping down to, to verse number 24. Listen to what he says there, what Daniel says in verse number 24. He says, 70 weeks are 77." The term week in Hebrew just means seven. So really 490 years are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make end of their sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, who is Jesus Christ. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and, and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, comes. There shall be seven, seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. That that date was actually four forty-four B.C. So you can go forward from that time, and you got to convert from a Jewish calendar to a to a to our calendar uh, in order to do this. But you can find the exact day when Jesus, the Messiah, would come to this earth. Uh, and be crucified, because it says down in verse number 26, after, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. He shall be crucified. So we can actually figure the exact 
date in, on which Jesus was crucified. Now, I'm not going to go through the calculations of that. If you want to get those calculations, go find the podcast on, on Daniel 9, and I'll go through that back in that podcast. But, but uh, we can determine the exact date in which he was crucified. God also wrote on his eternal calendar, way back in eternity past, before the worlds were formed, the very date of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, we're all trying to figure that out now. We know we're getting close. But we don't know the date, but God knew the date before he even created the world. Uh, uh, remember what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, 30, in Matthew 35. He said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But, the, but of that day and hour, when the tribulation comes and Jesus returns, actually, that's, I think, Matthew 18, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, so the Father knew before the foundation of the world, it was on his eternal calendar, when Jesus is going to come that second time. Now, Jesus didn't know when he was on this earth uh, because he had emptied himself of his glory, but he knows now. That date is in heaven, and they know exactly when Jesus is going to return. And we're given a clue as to his return over in Romans chapter 11. Just when is Jesus going to return? Uh, we're told in Romans chapter 11 that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, uh, which is the time set, it, it says, as it is written, uh, the time set when, when the fullness of Gentiles has come in. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? When the age of the Gentiles is over. When God is through dealing with Gentiles and he begins uh, to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. And then as it is written in, in verse number 26 of Romans 11, it says the deliverer, Jesus himself, will come out of Zion and he will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. So he will work on Jacob's behalf at that time and all of Israel will be saved. So all of these main events in history are on God's eternal calendar. But it, his eternal calendar doesn't just include information about himself and his relationship to the nation of Israel. All the important dates of every individual child of God is on his eternal calendar. Every important date. Every important date in your life was written down on his eternal calendar before he even made the universe. You believe that? It's true. Listen, listen to this. You go back to the day we were conceived. The very day we were conceived, God knew the day that we were going to be conceived. Actually, he was there. That's why David could say in Psalms 139 that the Lord, that the Lord formed me, me my, I'm sorry, that the Lord formed my inmost being he has knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, and in order for him to be there, to knit him together in his mother's womb, in order for him to be there when you were knit in your mother's womb, he had it on his calendar. It was set. It's been set in eternity past. The day we die, God knows already. He knew before he created the universe the day you were going to be born and the day you're going to die. I don't want him to tell me when I'm going to die, but, but uh, he knows the day. He already knows the day. And I'm not going to die one day earlier or one day later than God has planned for me to die. Uh, that's why David says also in Psalm 139 that the sum total, you, you know the sum total of all my days. You know how long I'm going to live on this earth. Job put it like this in Job chapter 14. He says, our days are determined. The number of our months is with you. You have appointed our limits so that we cannot pass past the day which you have set as the limit of time we're going to live on this earth. We can't go one day longer than what God plans for us to be here on this earth. And in Psalm 116, we're told that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? And if it's precious in his sight, then he knows the very day in which we're going to die and we're going to depart from this earth, and we're going to be with him. I don't, 
I don't know that most of us are looking forward to death, but I'm going to tell you what, it is a glorious day, and God has it marked on his calendar. But let me tell you about the most important day in your life that God has marked on his calendar, and that is the day that you got saved. That's the date that you were born again. If you're not born again and you're going to get born again, he knows exactly when that's going to happen. Go back to that passage we were looking at in Galatians, in Galatians chapter number 4. Go back there. Let's back up to verse number 1. And Paul's using an allegory here in, in speaking of the salvation experience and, and how we were under law before we were saved. Every person, we're going to look at this in detail next week in our uh, uh, second study in chapter 21 of Genesis, but every person before they're saved lived under the bondage of the law. In other words, you were under the law. You were cursed by the law. You were, you were doomed to death by the law. We're all under the law for a certain period of time. And God knows how long we need to be under the law before he saves us. And that's why he has appointed the time in which we're saved. And that's, that's what Paul is saying here in the first part of chapter 4. Let me read it to you. He says, now I say to you that the heir, the, the, the heir to salvation, he's using this as, as, as an allegory of, of salvation. I say to you that the heir the, of, of a rich man, had, as long as he is a child, does not differ from the slave. We don't differ from the lost. Before you were saved, you were just as lost as all the lost people in this lost world. And so we're no different from them. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from the slave, though he is master of all. In other words, one day we'll judge angels. But before we're saved, hey, we're a long way from judging angels. We're just like everybody else. We're lost. But he is under a guardian and the steward, and that's the law, until the time, now watch this, appointed by the Father. Until the time God has set for you to no longer be under the law. And God set that time in eternity past. I mean, the moment God knit you together in the womb, from that moment on, he began to draw you to Jesus Christ, to draw you into a position in life where you make a choice to be saved. And God knew exactly how long that was going to take. He knew that when I was 40 years old, I was going to get saved. I wasn't going to get, a, I wasn't going to get saved one moment earlier than August the 23rd, 1989. I wish I had in some ways. In some ways, I don't. Uh, but that was how long it was. It took 40 years for me to reach that point. Some of you got saved when you were five or six years old. Good for you. Uh, it's a lot easier that way, I can tell you right now. If, you, if you're not saved and you're going to get saved, you might as well, well try to speed the process up, but you're not going to because God has appointed that time. It takes certain things to get certain people saved. We're all created differently, and God knew exactly how long it was going to take so he had our salvation date written down on his eternal calendar even before he made the world. So we know that the date of our birth, the date of our death, the date of our salvation are all written down in eternity. They were written down before God even formed the world. I mean, you go to, to, to Ephesians, go, flip over just a page, go to Ephesians chapter number 1. and. Listen to what Paul says here about when God chose you to be saved. He didn't choose you to be saved on the day you got saved. He cho chose you to be saved, Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chose you to be saved before the foundation of the world, and he knew exactly the day that you would get saved, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Now, wait a minute. What, what about our choice? Don't we have a choice in the matter? Yeah, we have a choice. And that's where this process takes place. Once you're born, where God begins to woo you and draw you, no one can come to the Son except unless the Father draws him. 
And so God began to draw you as soon as you were born again so that you would make that choice, and he knew exactly how long it would be for you to make that choice. Look at verse number 13. We're still in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also trusted after you really heard in your heart the gospel of the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in which also having believed, once you believed, once you were brought to that point where you could truly believe the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the day of your uh, new birth. That's the date you were born again. So our birth, our death, and our salvation, those dates were all set for us before, even before the foundation of the world. But here's what I want you to see. That's not the only dates that God has set for us way back in eternity past. He has written down a date for every major event in our life, every specific fulfillment of every single promise that he has given for us, there is a date set for that fulfillment of that promise. And, it, and, and I, I love what David says. Again, you, you want to be encouraged. Go read Psalm 139 because it, it's about God's thoughts about us. Uh, David says, Precious are your thoughts towards us. Your thoughts are more towards us are more than the sand of the sea. Now that's a lot of thoughts. So God knows everything about you. Uh, he thinks about you all the time. He knows exactly where you are right now, exactly where you're going to be 10 years from now. He knows every move you're going to make, every move you're not going to make. He knows all of these things. And he's orchestrating your life behind the scenes as we speak, if you're a child of God. So David says in Psalms 139, he says, all my days were fashioned for me. They were determined for me. They were put on your eternal calendar when there were yet none of them. Before you were even born, God laid out a plan for your life. Now, we're given choice, and, and, and we make choices, and we get ourselves into trouble, like we've seen Abraham and Sarah get themselves into trouble. But God is still working out his plan, just like he was working out his plan in their life. And all the fulfillments of all those great promises that he gives us in his word, all of those specific promises that he gives us to each of us as individuals, all of the fulfillments of those promises are right on his schedule. They're marked down on his calendar, and they're going to be fulfilled on the very date in which he has determined he is going to fulfill that promise. Now, that is encouraging news. There's a great lesson to learn about that, and we'll look at that as we, we come back to this story. So let's go back to Genesis and back to the story of Abraham and, and Sarah. If you remember when we first got into this story of Abraham, I said it's so important to get this story down because the way in which God worked in Abraham and Sarah's life is the same way in which he works in our lives if we're truly born-again believers, if we're truly children of God. So we, we're coming back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, and finally, 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 they're going to receive the fulfillment of that great promise that they received 25 years earlier. The promise that they would have a son, and that through that son would come a great nation, and through that son would come a seed who would bless the entire world. And finally, the fulfillment of that promise is going to begin uh, as Isaac is born, and he's born exactly on the day that God set in eternity past on his eternal calendar. Stop and think about this a little bit if you've been following the story. If it were up to Abraham and Sarah, would they have ever made it to chapter 21? No. In fact, you just go to the last chapter, and they're down in Gerar, and uh, Abraham's given his wife over to Abimelech, and he's taken her into his harem. Good luck to have with having a child when you're in Abimelech's harem having the child of promise with Abraham. It wasn't going to happen. But God 
intervene. Why did God intervene? Because the, because the callings and elections of God are irrevocable. They are set on God's calendar, and no one's going to stop them from happening when God's ready for them to happen. And so we begin to see this fulfillment of, of this great promise now, these great promises and this specific promise fulfilled that they're going to have a son. So we come to chapter 21, and let's look down at verse number 1. And I love this. And finally, and finally, and finally he's not there, but in my mind it's finally, and I know it was finally in Abraham and Sarah's mind. And finally, the Lord visited Sarah. As he had said, he was going to visit Sarah. The great lesson there in what is it? when God says something, He's going to do something. Guess what? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He, may, he might not do it in our timing, but He's going to do it as He had said, and the, and the Lord did for Sarah as He had spoken, as He had said, as He has, had spoken. The Lord did what He had promised. And what did he do for Sarah? He visited Sarah. Just as he had promised Sarah, I'm going to visit you, and I'm going to return you to the season of life, to the season of life in which you can bear children, in which you can conceive a child, you can carry a child, you can nurse a child, uh, I mean, you can birth a child, you can nurse a child. I mean, all the things that go with childbearing, I'm going to visit you, and you're going to be able to do those things that's a miracle on two counts here in this story because, first of all, Sarah was barren. She'd been barren all her life. She had never had any children, so it's a miracle just for her to have a child. But, but the second part of that miracle is now she's past the childbearing age. She's 90 years old, and so it's that much more of a miracle. But the Lord always, always does what he has promised. He said it, and he's going to do it. So we always work. In his time, he's going to do it. He's going to do it on the date that he's marked down on his eternal calendar. And his unconditional promises are not dependent upon us. They are dependent upon him. All the unconditional promises that he makes in this Bible, have, they don't depend upon you one iota for their fulfillment. God is going to fulfill them on his own in his time. And we waste a lot of fretting and a lot of time, and a lot of worry trying to speed up God's timing when we just need to rest in the Lord. You know, I'm going to tell you what, the Lord is coming back soon. I know that. But, I, but I'm not going to fret over it. I'm going to rest in the Lord. I'm, I, I mean, I hope the trumpet blows this afternoon, but I'm going to rest in the Lord. And, and, I'm, and, and the older I get, the more I'm learning to rest in the Lord and trust the Lord on, for His timing, and we've got to do that. Verse number 2. Verse number two, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Now watch this. At the set time, who set the time? God set the time. At the set time of which God had spoken to Abraham. Remember, Abraham uh, was told in chapter, I believe it was chapter number 17, that, that uh, you're going to have a son this time next year. Uh, and, and so he made Abraham privy of the, of the date on which God had set on his eternal calendar, on the date he was going to have that son. God set that back way back in eternity before he formed the world, and now he, he made Abraham privy of it, and now the child is actually born at that set time, at maybe one of the most important days in the entire history of this world. Isaac was born. Uh, it was an important day for Sarah and Abraham for sure, but it was an important day for everybody else. Hey, listen to how Paul describes the importance of this day. Flip with me over to the book of Romans. Go with me to the book of Romans. And look in chapter number 4. A good chapter to read as we're going through the birth of Isaac and, and uh the lessons of faith that we learn from the father of faith, Father Abraham. And, and, and that's why we want to uh, digress here a minute and look at this passage. And I want to pick up down in verse number 17. It says, As it is written, and this is the day on God's calendar 
when Isaac was born, it says in verse number 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. As it's always been written, you're going to be the father of many nations. In the presence of whom he believed, Abraham believed God. Uh, in the presence of him, whom, in the presence of God, whom Abraham believed. God who gives, now here's a, two very important precepts related to our salvation, to the birth of Isaac, uh, to faith. And, and here's, here's, here's the apex of our faith right here. Two precepts, look at this. That God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's two very important things we need to know about God. One is that he gives life to the dead and that he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. How did he create the world? Out of nothing. He called them into existence. How did he make Sarah's womb come alive? He called it into existence. He called a season of life back into the life of Sarah. How does he make you and I alive? Out of nothing. He takes the deadness of our soul and he speaks and we are born again and we become alive to the things of God. And he takes what's dead and he gives life to what's dead. See how important that is not only to, to, to the birth of Isaac but to, the, to our new birth? And he says in verse number 18, who contrary to hope and hope believed. I mean, he's speaking of Abraham here. He believed so that he became the father of many nations, the father of faith, the father of the people of faith, the father of really many people. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, as the sand of the sea. Uh, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. In other words, he still saw himself as being able to have a child, and he acted on that. And he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, even though she was 90 years old at this point. All of this was impossible, and he, he didn't consider that. Now, now, that's amazing to me, because, because I think he did consider it just a few weeks earlier when he was down in Gerar, when he gave up all hope. I mean, here was Abraham, and he, and, and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, and so he runs down to Gerar and tries to, tries to find prosperity down there. He didn't care what it cost him, if it cost him the promise or whatever. He really didn't have that much faith. And so, I mean, all of a sudden, Sarah is in Abimelech's harem, and if God doesn't come and uh, get her released, then, then their promises are over. Isaac would have never been born. Or he would have been born as a stepson to Abimelech. It would have messed the whole plan up. But he didn't waver in the promises of God through unbelief. But was, now here's, here's the secret to his faith. He did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief. I mean, he, he knew that, that he couldn't have a child or Sarah couldn't have a child, but he believed that God through them could produce a child. And he didn't waver in the promise of God through unbelief, watch this, not because he strengthened his own faith, but he was passive, strengthened in faith. Where do we get our faith? Faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And here's Abraham, he's down in Gerar, he's pretty much given up on this whole thing of having a child, his wife's in the harem of Abimelech, and God comes and rescues them, and rescues Sarah. And all of a sudden, he has this newfound faith, not just because of the rescue, but because God supernaturally strengthened his faith. If you lack faith, the best thing to pray, the best prayer in the world is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That prayer recorded for us in the Gospels, I think, is one of the greatest prayers we can pray. Not, Lord, I believe, I don't have any problem believing you. We all have problems with our faith. And we need to ask God from time to time to help us with our faith, to strengthen our faith. And that's exactly what he did, but did, God did for Abraham. He strengthened his faith, and the glory didn't go to Abraham. What's it say there? Giving glory to God. 
And being now he's got real faith. He's got even more faith. He had faith back in chapter 12. It wavered. God gave him some more faith. It wavered. Uh, and God keeps giving him that faith and building his faith until we get to chapter two, 22 when he's willing to, to sacrifice his own son. He's going to have so much faith. And being fully convinced in verse number 21 that what he had promised, God was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him again for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. This whole story that we're looking at wasn't written down, so we've got a historical lesson about Abraham and Sarah. This story was written for us, for us for, to build our faith, uh, to show us how we're saved. The same way Abraham was saved is the same way we're saved. He says, now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in the Lord, in him, in caps, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, the reason that Abraham's faith is so important to all of us, well, well, there's the obvious reason. First of all, it was through his faith that Isaac was born. And through Isaac came the nation of Israel, and through the nation of Israel came the Messiah. So, man, I'm really glad that Abraham had faith. But that's not the only lesson God wants us to learn. He wants The second lesson that he wants to learn about the importance of Abraham's faith is that his faith is a demonstration of the faith that we have to have in order to be saved. In other words, we have to believe, just as Abraham believed, that God can give life to the dead, and he can call things into existence out of things that don't exist. We've got to believe that, truly believe that, in order to be saved. We have to have faith, first of all, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that he died on a cross to justify you for your sins. You've got to look at that cross and believe that somehow in that transaction, we don't know exactly how it all Whenever I hear somebody try to explain that thoroughly, like they know everything that happened there, I just kind of cringe. Because we don't know all that transpired there. All I know is, by faith, I know that Jesus died for every single sin I have ever committed and every single sin that I will ever commit. And I, by faith, I accept that. But that, it doesn't stop there. I can't just get my sins paid for. i got to get my soul fixed. Because my soul, my heart is desperately wicked. So I've got to have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God had the power to raise him from the dead, to take what was dead and make it come alive. And I apply that to my own soul, that God, I have to have the faith to believe that God can take my dead soul, my dead spirit, and make it come alive by faith, by his faith, the faith that he gives me. I have to believe that. And that's why I'm telling you, throughout churches throughout America today, and one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in, they're teaching that, hey, all roads lead to heaven. They're teaching that Jesus, you know, we don't really even know if he, he was resurrected from the grave. Without the resurrection, without the faith in the resurrection, you cannot be saved. How can you be resurrected if Jesus couldn't be resurrected? You've got to be resurrected. You've, God's got to take what's dead and make it come alive. And if you don't believe he can do that, then how can he save you? And if you can't get changed, let me tell you what, you're not getting to heaven. I'm not getting to heaven in the state I'm in now. I've got to be glorified. I've got to be saved and my sins paid for. I've got to be sanctified and I've got to be glorified. And all of that is on God's calendar but it is all a miracle. I can't do any of it. It comes by faith. And if I can't believe the story of Isaac being born to a woman who was 90 years old and a man who was 100 years old, like many liberal scholars don't believe, I, I, I don't have saving faith. I don't care what denomination you are, what church you go to, what religion you are, you're not saved if you don't believe in the resurrection. What saves us is what happened on that cross. I understand that. But you've got to have saving faith. You've got to have the faith of, that Abraham 
and Sarah had. Now, it's really sad to be going back now to, to Genesis chapter 21. It's really sad. If you look at any history book, world history book, on any, in any school, even in Christian, most Christian schools, I, I, I haven't looked at their history books, but, but any history book that's ever been written, you don't see the birth, the date of the birth of Isaac. There's nothing about Isaac being born. But let me tell you something. It's one of the most important events ever to happen in the history of the world because it set forth the seed and the, the, the genealogy from which our Savior would come and, and die for our sins. And so there's no doubt it was set, as, as it said says here, at the set time Isaac was born. He was born at the exact time when God was ready for him to be born. And it was written on his calendar even before the world was formed. He knew when Isaac was going to be born. Now that tells us some important things about God's eternal calendar. First of all, it tells us that nobody's Nothing's going to stop God from fulfilling his plans on the exact date when he's ready to fulfill those plans. Nobody's going to stop him. I mean, come hell or high water, Isaac was going to be born on the very date in which he was born. And nobody was going to stop him. Nobody had the power to stop him. Uh, Sarah and Abraham, with all their blundering, when they went down to Egypt, when they had Hagar, when, uh, when, they, when Abraham went with Hagar and they had Ishmael, uh, when they went down to Gerar, all, through all their blunders, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't change the timing of, of, of God's plan one second. Isaac was born on the very moment that God was ready for him to be born. Pharaoh and Abimelech, uh, I believe, more than likely were being used by Satan in order to, to hinder God's plan at least to delay God's plan, to stop God's plan if they could. And they were maybe the two most powerful men on earth. But they couldn't stop it because nobody is going to delay or stop God's plans for the fulfillment of his promises. And here's something else I want you to say. I mean, if you were in Abraham and Sarah's shoes, and 25 years earlier God had told you that you're going to have a son, and your name is Abram, and and you, your name means father, and you've never been a father of anything. And, and now you're having to wait. 25 years you've had to wait. I mean, you think maybe they fretted a little bit? We know they fretted. That's why they, they, went, they went and got Hagar and had Ishmael, because they were fretting over this thing. God wasn't moving on their timetable. They no doubt prayed, Lord, Lord, please. I mean, in those face-to-face encounters that Abraham had with the Lord. I mean, he begged God, I mean, please give me a son. I mean, let if you're not going to give me a son, just tell me and let Ishmael be the child of promise. But, but through all of that, all of their worrying and their pleading, they didn't get God to move one second earlier than he was ready to move. And we're not going to get God to move one second earlier on our plans, the plans he has for us, the great promises that he's going to fulfill in our life. He's not going to move one second earlier. He's got marked on that eternal calendar in heaven. And Abraham, verse number three, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born him, Isaac. Isaac, you see over and over again in the Old Testament, if you, if you did an a, a Englishman concordance search on, on Isaac, you'd see it all through the Old Testament. And it simply means laughter. His name simply means laughter. 
And, and if you were to go back, or if you were able to do this, and you would go up to heaven and you could see God's eternal calendar, on that calendar, you wouldn't see the date Isaac was born, and you would see above that date, you would see the birth of the promised child, the birth of the child of uh, Sarah and Abraham, whoever, whatever name they give this child. No, if you were to go back, if you could go back before the worlds were formed, and you could look at that calendar, and you could look at the date that Isaac was born, do you know what you would see on that calendar? You would see the birth date of Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. God knew his name before the foundation of the world, and he knew that his name would be lasting. If you're a child of God, God knew your name before the foundation of the world. If you don't like your name, don't take it up with your parents. Take it up with God. I don't particularly like George. I know you're shaking your head. I don't, I don't particularly like George, but that's the name that God gave me. If you were to go ask my parents, why did you name George George? They're not around anymore, but if you could ask them, they would tell you that they named me after my grandfather, whose name was George. Well, I have no doubt that in their minds, they thought that they had something to do with my name. But God put it on their hearts to name me after my grandfather. Now, my name is Orgas in the Greek, which means farmer. If you've ever seen any of my garden work, you would wonder why in the world would God name him farmer? Well, Guess what I'm doing here today? I'm farming. I'm scattering seed. When I pray for you guys during the week, I'm watering those seeds. Hopefully one day I'm going to see those seeds produce a great harvest in all of your life. That's what I'm doing all of that for. Farming, that's what I do. I mean, look at your name. I mean, look at the meaning of your name. It's, I guarantee you God was in, the, in your name. I mean, unless it's, well, I won't even, I won't name anything. But God, God, God is so much in control of our own personal history, way beyond anything we can possibly imagine. And that is such a great lesson to grasp. Because God doesn't make this life easy. And things happen to us that, 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 just don't seem fair at times. They don't seem God like God's anywhere to be found in the things that are happening. But he's right there. And he's allowing us to make our mistakes, but he's not going to let us go too far with those mistakes. And everything he has planned for our lives is going to happen just the way he's planned those things in his now, why, why in the world would they call Isaac, Isaac? Why would they call him laughter? Well, God told Abraham, I want you to name him Isaac. Now, later on, I think they forgot that, and they, Sarah says she gave him the name. But God gave Isaac his name. There's no doubt about it. And he gave him that name because both Sarah and Abraham, at one point in their lives, laughed at the idea that they would have a son. And so God wanted them, every time they called that name Isaac, laughter, they knew that name, what that name meant well. They, they used it in their common vocabulary. So every time they called him laughter, they were reminded of the fact that they had doubted God. These great people of faith, they had at one time doubted God so much that they laughed at God. You know, people, like I said earlier, liberal scholars over the century have laughed the idea of Isaac being born to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. Well, I'm going to tell you what, who's going to get the last laugh? God's going to get the last laugh. He's going to get the last Isaac. He's going to get the last laugh. But 
the name Isaac also means the laughter that comes from having great joy. And I got to believe at this point that, that uh, Abraham and Sarah had great joy. And they didn't mind calling him laughter at all. They didn't mind calling him Isaac at all. They were laughing there. They, were, they, they, were, they had a big old smile on their face. If you saw them back then, it probably lasted for a decade or so. Then Abraham, verse number four, circumcised his son Isaac on the exact day God had set for him to be circumcised. On that date that, set, that was set on God's eternal calendar way back in eternity past, eight days old he was as God had commanded him uh, that all the children were to be uh, circumcised on their uh, on the on their on their eighth day after their birth. Now, that tells me that the date of your baptism is on God's eternal calendar. God knew exactly when you were going to get baptized. Now, some of you haven't gotten baptized yet. It's still on his calendar. He's going to get you dunked sooner or later. If you've gotten baptized and you think you snuck by with one of those baby baptisms or something, he still got the date of your real baptism on this eternal calendar. You know what? I don't know about you. I was baptized twice. Once when I was 13 years old, and once when I was 40 years old. When I was 13 years old, I don't remember anything about it other than I was scared to death and I got waters down my nose, almost drowned. I remember that part. But when I was 40 years old, you could have drowned me. And it wouldn't have mattered. I had so much joy in my I sensed the presence of God so much that day of my baptism. I, mean, I could feel his presence. I knew he was there with me. I knew he was there because he had it on his calendar. He was there when you were baptized too. Now Abraham was 100 years old, verse number 5, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Literally, in the Hebrew, God has made me Isaac. Isaac. All who hear will Isaac with me. Maybe they'll Isaac at me, laugh at me. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Finally, I have a son, and my heart is full of Isaac. Full of laughter. In verse number 7, she said, she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse her? I mean, who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it that a 90-year-old woman would not only bear a child, but be able to nurse a child? I mean, God had so reconstructed her out of nothing into life. He had so reconstructed all of those women things that do all of those women things that that. She could not, not only bear a child and conceive a child and, and birth, uh, I mean, uh, birth a child, but also nurse that child. I mean, 90-year-old woman nursing a child. And you know what? That might embarrass some people, but it didn't embarrass Sarah. She was proud of the fact she was nursing the child. She had waited 90 years for that child. She said, for I have borne him a son in my old Ninety years old. What a miracle. So here we've been studying in the 21st century an event that took, 21st century A.D., we've been studying an event that took place in the 21st century B.C. And that event's been studied all those 4,000 years. Why is it so important? Because it's on God's calendar. Just like all the promises in the Bible, they have a fulfillment date. God got it set. Every one of them, fulfillment date of every single promise God has ever promised has been set on his calendar. The major events in your life, in my life, our birth, our salvation, our baptism, our death, 
even our glorification, when we're, we see Jesus and we're just like Jesus, all those dates have been set on God's eternal calendar. And they're not going to happen one minute earlier or one minute later than God has planned for them to happen. And that's true for every specific promise that God makes to us in our lives. The fulfillment date of that promise has already been set on his calendar. And we can't make it happen a second earlier than when God's planned for it to happen. See the lesson here? The sooner we grasp that concept and learn to walk by faith and trust the Lord, the sooner we're going to find rest in Christ, that rest he intends for us, that peace and joy he intends for us. You understand why most of us don't have any peace and joy? Because we're on our schedule and not on God's schedule. We're trying to rush things that God's going to do for us in his own time. And if we're truly trusting in God's timing, there's going to be a lot less fretting and a lot less worrying going on and a lot less chance of making some rash decision that's going to put us into a world of hurt, some kind of situation that God's going to have to rescue out of us. Now, he will will rescue us out of that situation. But, hey, we can save ourselves a lot of pain by not getting in those situations. By waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord. You know, what we've seen with Abraham and Sarah, they made their greatest mistakes when they were fretting, when they were tired of waiting, when they decided to take things matters into their own hand because they didn't like God's timing. You know, I, I believe even when they when Abraham went into Hagar, I really believe deep down inside they they believed God. They just didn't like his time, and they wanted to speed things up. And we do the same thing. And no matter what actions we take, no matter how much we beg God, no matter how much we fret or worry, we're not going to speed up God's timing one iota. Because his timing is the perfect timing. He knows when we're ready to receive the promise. He knows when the circumstances are ready for us to receive the promise. And i got to tell you, if we'll learn to trust him, we'll save ourselves a lot. For the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your word today, and we thank you for the, the great promises you have given us, Lord. And Lord, more than anything else, we long for your coming. We long for you to come and set this world right. But Lord, we, we know that that date's been set. We're not going to speed it up one bit, Lord. And so help us to just do what you've called us to do until you do come. And in all the situations of life, Lord, to learn to rest in you, to trust you, to trust your timing. Lord, if we can learn that lesson, We can save ourselves a lot of fret, a lot of worry, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain that we bring on our lives because we we just don't trust your timing. Father, again, we just thank you for the great lesson you've given us here today. We ask that you bless us through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.